Hey everyone, Eric here. Very quickly before we get to our discussion today with Professor Zhang Yencho, I want to make sure that you know about the daily email newsletter that Cobus and I put together. What we're doing with this newsletter is capturing the conversations that are taking place every day about China-Africa relations, whether it's the latest reports from think tanks, scholarly research, what activists are saying, and of course all of the discussions that are taking place on social media. And we're featuring a lot of primary source material. So if you're a researcher, an analyst, or a journalist covering these issues, this newsletter is perfect for you. To find out more, go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Give it a try for two weeks free. See if you like it. And if you use the promo code podcast at checkout, you'll get a 33% discount. Also, if you're a student or a teacher, it's always half price. Once again, that's ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from sub-China. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, today we're going to be picking up our conversation on journalism and telling the China-Africa story. For those of you who've been following the show, you'll recall from a couple of weeks ago, we spoke with uh, an AFP journalist based in Nigeria who does fact-checking on social media, and we talked a lot about fake news, uh, particularly on places like Facebook. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the way the Chinese tell the story, and it is very, very different than what we are familiar with outside of China, and they use a technique called constructive journalism. Now, some people may call this outright propaganda, but let's kind of move beyond that. And constructive journalism is not just a concept that is in vogue in China, but they're also using it in Sweden, in Denmark, some other parts of Europe. And Cobus, it's really gaining some traction also in Africa. Yes. The idea of constructive journalism is that it's journalists stepping away from their traditional watchdog role, where they're simply pointing out problems, to uh, to taking on a new role where they're also uh, advocating certain you know better solutions for for whatever problems they're pointing out. In the process, it means that journalists are stepping into a role where they are actively cooperating with national development or economic growth. You know, so so they're they're in a more um, involved community kind of based kind of position uh, in in relation to the state and to the community. Now, to be sure, this is a very controversial position in part because it's antithetical to many of the journalistic values that we in the U.S. and in Europe have been raised upon, particularly this adversarial form of journalism, which we look at as very healthy, but the Chinese don't. So let's get a perspective on China-Africa journalism and storytelling. And for that, we're just thrilled to have back on the show for the first time in four years. Uh, really, it's been a long time. Uh, Professor Zhang Yanzhou from China Communications University, where she is the director of the Africa Communication Research Center. Welcome back to the show, Professor Zhang. It's great to have you on. Hello, nice to talk to you again. Well, thank you so much for coming back. It's been a long time since we've had you on the program. And in those intervening four years, a lot has happened, both in terms of the way the China-Africa story is being told and also events on the ground. We mentioned at the top this idea of constructive journalism. I know this is something that is important to you. You've been teaching some of this to your students, both in China and also holding seminars in Africa. Why don't you just start our discussion 
with an introduction to how you see what constructive journalism is and why you think it's important. Okay. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. I think um, just like Cobus um, uh, just mentioned, constructive journalism is a new concept which might be different from the traditional uh, you know, journalistic practice, which focuses on the watchdog you know, position. But constructive journalism, which are promoted not only by China, but also by you know, other uh, European countries. And um, so this is a new concept, but it's a very interesting concept to be learned and to be introduced. I Maybe I disagree with you. You know, constructive journalism does not mean it is a positive uh, news or good news, but constructive journalism focus on the solution. It focus on the, on the hopes uh, it's a uh, constructive journalism is different from the investigative journalism and uh, different from those, you know, breaking news. Uh, what uh, focused on the dramatic uh, impact of the news program it, itself? It's tend to be very critical, focus on too much on the negativity and make people feel uh, frustrated and uh, no hope and the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the investigative journalism more. The role of the media, more like a policeman, like judge, and um, it focuses on the conflicts and the, the trouble, the problem. But constructive journalism is a, a new approach. It focuses on inspiration. It talk about the responsibility of the media. Uh, it's not only to investigate, but based on the investigation, we have to, you know, to do what to ask what we can do next, what we can solve. And uh, so in, in this case, the media's role is like facilitator and mediator. So the focus is a different. It's not focused on the conflict, but focus on the problem solving and what could be best practice to certain issues. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a very interesting, um, you know, approach to journalism. I think some of its critics, in um, particularly in the West, would probably argue that it puts journalists into too much much of an advocacy position. Um, you know, kind of advocating for particular particular solutions to a problem, and that that kind of goes beyond what you know in, in these kind of traditional ways of thinking journalists are supposed to do. Um, how do you answer that kind of criticism? Uh, I think you know the. Uh, constructive journalism was raised as a reflection um, against the traditional Western uh, journalism, uh, which focuses on the negativity and conflicts. Uh, I think it's uh, it's especially important for developing countries because uh, developing countries we focus on the peace and development, but that that is the national you know uh, interest. So if the media in the one country put on the national interest ahead of the that ahead of the you know their individual interest of individual groups, that will help in the developing country to develop. But that's aligning the news with the interests of the state. And and and, and again, in a place like South Africa or Kenya or Nigeria, where there are very, very vibrant media ecosystems. Uh, where it, a lot of good information has come out of excellent journalism in reporting and investigating, but the interests of the consumers, the interests of the reader, the interests of the uh, of the media is not always aligned with the state. And what it sounds like, and in, in certainly in China, is that media and journalism are aligned with the interests of the party and the state. 
So is that what you're suggesting is that in a place like Kenya or South Africa, that media should be more aligned with the objectives of the ruling party or the governing elite? Yeah, I, I think uh, I agree with you. And the, so it, it's 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 time for us to reflect: what is the role of the media in the society? For whose interest? If it is a too commercially all uh, operated, I think um, who will benefit? We have to ask who will benefit. If all the media they are very successful, the uh, I mean they have a large audience, but the point is, like in most of the African countries, the media are free and they can criticize the government and they are very critical. But the point is, the Africa debate is not that fast, and uh, especially you know, uh, like what I I, I give what I learned from uh, Ethiopia experiences. I did a training uh, workshop to the 70 journalists there last year. And they agree that the, the country was uh, highly polarized. And one of the reasons is because of the media. The media put different interests again, uh, ahead of the national interest. So that's the problem. How do you balance the, the the traditional idea of the media as a kind of a public space, you know, as, as a place where debate happens, bet, you know, bet, bet, uh, around particular issues and different viewpoints are raised versus the idea of media being actively involved in trying to solve a situation? Like, where, where does the balance between those two spaces lie? Okay, I, I have to make it clear. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, uh, constructive journalism is uh, better than the uh, traditional uh, so-called, you know, um, negative uh, journalism. Or, um, but I think it's time for us to rethink about the new approach, about the, you know, uh, new uh, journalistic approach. It's, uh, if, if, the, if the news report is focused too much on the negativity conflict and people will lose the hope. I mean, again, this is the difference between the Chinese worldview and, say, a non-Chinese worldview, where I've been a journalist for 25 years, uh, going 30 years. Now I'm revealing my age here. I don't see it as my job as to necessarily provide hope or to assist the national interest. My job is to tell the story in the best way, as accurately as I can, and then let other people make the decision as to what they do with that information. That's what I do every day. So if it's against the national interest, okay. If it's for the national interest, okay. Yeah. Uh, but that's really not up to me as a journalist and as a storyteller to be thinking about those issues. And much and, and so I guess I'm just trying to struggle to understand how does this work? I mean, again, in China, where the party controls so much of the media space, it's mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. But in other parts of the world where we don't have that, it doesn't feel applicable in that way. I think whether it's uh, applicable to African countries or not, but it's uh, very valuable for us to introduce this uh, new concept. Uh, my African student arrived in you know, China. They tried to find the secret of what kind of role Chinese media played in the fast growth of the economy. And they find the media and the people and the government and the society, we, we all work as a whole to pursue the national interest and which is to, 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 to provide a better life of the people, to increase the economic growth and also so, uh, the social stability. So the media work very closely to support the government, to support the people, to support the economy. So this is a very different approach, but if you simply call it a government controlled 
propaganda, I think that's too naive to think in that way. So we have to find out the secret of the media in the national uh, you know, development, in the social development. But it is government controlled, though, or at least party controlled in the sense that, as you said, things are done to pursue the national interest and harm- uh, harmony in society and stability in society. Because, And that's one of the reasons why we don't actually see stories produced by CGTN in Africa or within China that really diverge from the, the party because that would seem as being adversarial and conflict. So a lot of news about China that is perceived as negative or is negative is not included in those discussions. Is that correct? Yeah, for example, uh, for the Guangzhou issue, you know, uh, for the African media, full of, uh, you know, those sensational uh, facts, those uh, social media, you know, video tips. So what happened? The people, people, they would just say they, they you, if it's too focused too much on this uh, one piece of a negative story, then what about the other stories uh, chi- uh, between China, Africa? For example, during the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, about uh, according to my uh, knowledge, uh, like Chinese uh, medical teams in forty five African countries, they provide, uh, you know, very a swift uh, response to the local uh, hospital. And they provided, uh, you know, like um, 4,000, something like a 4,000 training to tens of thousands of, uh, you know, local uh, medical workers to how to, you know, contain the virus. But the point is the media, they didn't report this and they just only report uh, African was mistreated. And then what will happen? Then people, they, they might feel uh, disappointed as China-Africa cooperation. But this is only part of the story, which means constructive uh, story or constructive journalism should provide uh, even larger background, larger context, instead of focus on the negative. If all focus on the negative story, of course, it's a bias and there is a stereotype. And it's, it, it's definitely it will be a misleading, you know, uh, media practice. But, you know, I would argue that in some cases, in order to have some kind of reform of a system where, where you know, certain inequities or certain kind of bad practices are happening, one would have, in the short term, one would need to expose it and then have a moment of negative, negative reporting in order to then move on towards some form of reform. So if we take it out of the China-Africa space for the moment, um, for example, the, the, the reporting around the killing of George Floyd, um, in, in the United States, you know, that, that reporting necessarily, you know, kind of was negative in the sense that it was reporting on a, a, a miscarriage of justice. And that then led to a, a large kind of outcry, you know, which, which was probably quite, quite damaging in some kind of ways to national harmony in, among certain communities. But it's all for the greater cause of getting more justice into, into a system that is malfunctioning. Like how, how you know, kind of is, is there a, a, a more a constructive journalist way of, of doing that without simply covering up kind of mis- malpractice? I think we have to make it clear. Uh, constructive journalism does not mean we uh, were not going to report any negative story. But constructive uh, journalism means we go, we move one step, you know, forward based on the, you know, the fact-checked story uh, telling. Which means, you know, it's okay we talk about the the so-called mistreatment of African uh, people in China or in Guangzhou. But we have to provide, it's it's better for the media to provide what we can do next. Uh, 
uh, why uh, the, the, the people was, uh, you know, so-called mistreated there. We have to provide a lot of, uh, you know, background situation. Why African people was, uh, you know, was a, uh, simply, uh, you know, seriously uh, treated, uh, they have to follow the, the Guangzhou, you know, way approach to contain the, the virus. But it's better to provide the more balanced, uh, you know, background information instead of just focus on the mistreatment and the discrimination. Of course, okay, for a period of time, you can focus on some specific issues. But the point is, for so many Many years, like Eric just mentioned at the beginning, that for so many years, this kind of uh, journalistic practice never changed. And every period of time, it's always focused on negative, 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 you know, news. So for years, and there is a bias, there is a negativity, and there is a stereotype. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa China Reporting Project at Witt University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at VitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. I don't know if I fully agree with you why there is uh, there was a lot of negative reporting, certainly, uh, but there was a lot of great reporting about what happened in Guangzhou, why it happened in Guangzhou, uh, but it didn't necessarily conform to what the Chinese government and the Guangdong provincial government and local government were saying. For example, there was a lot of great reporting about how the gap between what the Guangdong government was doing and what civil society in, in southern China and how they were treating black people and African-Americans and Africans uh, were quite different. And any reference to that was rejected by the Chinese. Uh, saying there is no racism, there is no discrimination. And so I guess the hard part that we're all struggling with to understand this Chinese way and approaching the story is that it just keeps coming back to saying that the journalism has to conform to what the government or the party or the society or the state outline it to be and what their priorities are. And if it doesn't and it's not convenient, well, it's dismissed as being negative or being non-constructive. And I guess that's the part that, I, that I'm trying to get my hand around. How do we understand sometimes when it doesn't align with you know, social harmony, but it is true. Is that accepted inside of this constructive journalism and Chinese journalism? I think, I think we're not, not, we not a comment on the Chinese you know, response on this uh, Guangzhou issue, but uh, we are talking about the new concept, constructive journalism generally, okay? And uh, we have to make it clear, constructive journalism does not mean good news, or does not mean bad news or positive news or negative news. It means solution focused. It focuses on the tomorrow, it focuses on the solution, what we can do. Maybe some positive news, it's really like propaganda, but it provides anything, nothing to do with solution. So that cannot be regarded as constructive journalism. But I mean, again, I've the only job I've ever known yeah. is journalism. Mm -hmm. So I don't know other things and other other skills and so but uh, but i'm not okay. an expert eric. in eric in, I, I, in, but i'm not an expert yeah. in solutions i'm not an expert in policy i'm not an expert in engineering how can i as a journalist and a lot of journalists are young today 25 26 27 how do they know mm -hmm. what the solutions are i mean that's mm -hmm. that's not necessarily that's that's up for people like cobus who are think tank scholars and policymakers and researchers to come up with those solutions 
Okay, so that's a very good question. So solution, solution. It's a solution focus. It's it's not only the uh, the uh, you know the journalist uh, themselves has to provide uh, you know solutions. They can ask the people involved. They ask Asper. They ask the uh, you know uh, leaders or they ask people involved from different sectors to provide solutions or provide their suggestions. So. Uh, it's. I, I mean, it's a. I mean, it's. A, it's a very interesting. You know, when I visited, you know, Nigeria, one uh, professor asked me if any if anything can be made in China, can news be be made in China? Which means they don't think the news production in China could be regarded as a news because they follow the Western journalistic concept. I think that's very interesting. That's very interesting, but that's very important. That is why, you know, for China-Africa cooperation, we have to revisit each other's journalistic, you know, philosophy and with, uh, with visit each other's uh, journalistic practice. Instead of you, you just uh, judge the journalism from your own, you know, so-called uh, journalism education. How do you see the role of social media in you know kind of in in this process? Um, you know, over the last the last few years, we've seen both in the United States and in China now with the Guangzhou incident that social media as a, as a form of of recording what's happening um, has been very powerful in exposing you know kind of various forms of official abuse. Um, and then you know and and then in in the, in a lot of cases ju- conventional journalists are forced in a kind of a catch up role where they're kind of running after social media and try and provide a, a kind of a more coherent narrative to a, to a sudden explosion of different videos around a particular particular injustice um that's that's i think it's been true in, in guangzhou and around the the <clears throat> excuse me the black lives matter protests in the us so how do those two fit together uh you, you know so, uh, there are a lot of uh, you know discussions on the social media and uh related to fake news and re- related to you know the so-called post truth you know post truth uh, uh you know uh, effect so social media is a, it's a it's a good and we can get a lot of information on that but i i mean the professional media should double check the sources on the social media you cannot totally rely on that that that's very you know basic uh, pr- principle for uh, i think for uh, professional media but at the same time and i think social media is uh, can help us to to access different information, that's no problem. But the point is, we have to we have to double check it. That that's very simple, uh, you know, uh, uh, logic. Yeah, and we recently had uh, a guest from a Agence France Presse. They do fact checking and checking all the social media. Also, France Twenty Four has a fact checking unit in the United States. Politifact. There's a growing industry of fact checking on social media uh, to to do exactly what you're saying. One of the things that I have noticed over the years, though, is that it feels like Uh, Chinese and Africans and Chinese and and others are having two very different sets of conversations because we're looking at different data points. And this came to light when Ambassador Zhou Pingjian in Nigeria was confronted by the Speaker of the House of Representatives uh, during the Guangzhou incident by saying, have you seen the videos on Facebook? And Ambassador Zhou said, no, he had not. And that was very revealing because 
obviously in China and Chinese officials don't necessarily have access to Facebook and Twitter and some of these other social media tools, and they don't necessarily go to them. But yet those are the dominant tools that are used to collect news and information outside, particularly in a place like Africa, where people are so young and social media is so popular. And I'm wondering when you do your interactions, whether you're teaching or whether you're working with Chinese and African students, do you notice the, the, the different ways that, that, that people are looking and journalists are looking at the stories using different data sets and different information points because we're looking at Facebook, Google, Twitter, WhatsApp. You're looking at WeChat, Weibo, and, and some of those other sites that are and other services that are very, very different. And also because the information ecosystem in China is regulated and outside of China, it's not. So that also adds to the, the gap that in understanding between inside China and outside of China. Do you see that, that, that difference that exists there? Uh, I, I think today we're talking about the you know constructive journalism, but the, what you mentioned just now is about uh, media regulation and uh, a news source uh, you know issues. That's another issue. So um, of course there is a gap about the information we uh, Chinese people get, and also the, you know the so-called international um, audience uh, or, or internet users. We, it's, we, we it seems that we get a different you know um, news uh, sources. But the point is, <laughs> I should say, uh, why it's it's only you know Chinese. Uh, you blame Chinese. They, we we don't use you know those international media. Why the international users they don't follow uh, Chinese uh, you know social media? Because well, they don't speak Chinese for the most part. I mean, one of the problem, yeah, one of the problem is. Uh, is the language for most of the Chinese people? They it's not necessary for them to use, you know, uh, the the so-called international social media. It's it's pretty okay for them to survive every day, and with a Chinese domestic, you know, social media. But, but I guess the only thing is they're not necessarily participating in the same conversations that the rest of us are participating in. Because Facebook, for example, is available everywhere, but not in China. So it's just difficult because. One group is seeing one set of information, and another group is seeing another set of information. That's and it just makes it hard to have those conversations. And I think we've seen over the years how journalism and the framing of journalism is oftentimes influenced by the data and the information they get, which is driven, of course, by access to information. So that that's, I guess, what I was trying to figure out. I, I think I, I think Chinese people they they really have a very good you know uh, channel or access to those international. Uh, news or international, you know, uh, information, and um, especially, you know, uh, Chinese uh, international media. They have their Facebook and uh, all the social media, you know, account. Uh, it's quite popular. I know some of them is quite popular. So um, I don't know if you just ask this question about the gap. Uh, I, I admit there's a gap, but the gap is how can we? It's it's not the gap itself. It's it's a uh, what we can do to communicate to over to you know to overcome the gap. And what do you recommend to overcome the gap? Let's let's be solution oriented here. Constructive journalism. What would be the best way for outsiders to understand the Chinese approach to storytelling and some of these issues? You know, I think for foreigners, if they like to really like to learn Chinese, uh, learn about Chinese situation, and uh, just like Eric, you and you, they can learn Chinese and uh, they can they can talk to Chinese people and they can visit Chinese website. Uh, we have a lot of uh, you know website in English and uh, and Chinese quite open to the outside to you know to introduce China to the world. 
one issue I was wondering about is how journalists should deal with fake news that are used by government spokespeople. So we've seen many governments um, over the last few years have, have, have not been not hesitated to use fake news occasionally um, to boost their own talking points. We've seen that certainly from the Trump administration. Uh, we've seen um, Chinese spokespeople, you know, kind of mentioning this the idea that uh, that the COVID-19 virus was created in an American lab. And then we've seen it from obviously from many other governments as well, Hungary, Turkey, and, and so on and so on. Um, you know, and, and what we've seen frequently is that journalists, you, you know, even when they're trying to fact check and correct some of these, these um, statements, they end up kind of amplifying them because they have to report about them. And, you know, research, media researchers have seen that, have shown that, um, that in many cases, that in trying to fact check it actually just reinforces the fake news and 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 spreads it further. So, how, from a constructive journalist perspective, should one deal with with deliberate misinformation coming out of governments? Um, I don't think all the government they uh, deliver the fake news every day, but uh, of course, we we see in the United States there is war between the the president uh, Trump and uh, and also the. And the other, you know, media. There's a, you know, there's a media war between them. So it's very interesting to see this new phenomenon. And uh, I mean, uh, of course, media has the responsibility to watch the government, and when the government delivers fake news, and vice versa. So um, media should be responsible, and the government should be responsible, and watchdog journalism is necessary. But at the same time, constructive journalism is also necessary. It's it's not it's 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 a more balanced report. It's you provide more you know background. You you find out solutions to this. I'd like to kind of wrap up our discussion talking a lot, uh, talking a little bit about the training that uh, you're doing in Beijing and the fact that hundreds of journalists every year go over to China for exposure to the Chinese way of doing news. There's the China Africa Press Center, uh, some of the seminars that you're running in Africa, but also for students in uh, African students in Beijing uh, and other cities as well throughout China. What's been the reaction? And talk to us a little bit about the training programs that you're doing with African journalists and African students on the Chinese approach to news and including constructive journalism. Yeah, in recent years, you know, under the FOCAC uh, framework and uh, China invited or did a lot of the training to the African journalists by inviting them and uh, to either to do the short-term training or do a degree program in China. I'm not saying they are uh, they, they, they came to China just to learn Chinese uh, journal- journalism or Chinese uh, you know um, media system and to move that back to Africa. But I, I think Chinese government regarded as uh, a very uh, important approach for the people from both sides uh, to increase their understandings to each other. So for the training program, we're not only, uh, you know, to introduce them to the Chinese uh, media system and Chinese uh, journalistic practice, including, you know, uh, uh, constructive journalism, but also uh, they were introduced to other, you know, um, uh, courses and other lectures like, you know, um, economy and the Chinese uh, economy and the general, you know, for me, we have a master degree on international communication. We also teach them it's a uh, you know uh, communication theories and uh, you know research methodologies. It's it's quite you know formal uh, master you know degree. I mean degree program. It's not it's not only about China. That's very clear. But you know due to um, 
um, I think I think it's 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 a good for uh, African journalists to step into, uh, you know, to 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 uh, visit China and to see China from their own eyes. That's very important. What I can, uh, you know, um, pass information here is most of the journalists was very much shocked. And they believe their experience in China was a so-called sort of a life-changed experience for them. And I would like to share now one more, you know, experience I had last year in my uh, uh, training um, program and in uh, Ethiopia. So the 70, uh, you know, journalists received training on under, you know, constructive journalism, and the feedback was a very positive. Well, well, you know, when I provide the training on constructive journalism, I'm not selling Chinese journalism to them. I'm just introducing, you know, constructive journalism as a new concept for them to rethink about how a new concept may help them to 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 construct the the nation. So the the uh, you know they agree. I, I did a survey after them, and the about sixty five percent of the you know uh, um, uh, response they, they said constructive journalism. Journalism will assist in finding a solution to political, social, and e- economic problems in Ethiopia. So they believe uh, constructive journalism training in Ethiopia is a very necessary. About 70%, 76%, they believe it is a very necess- necessary. The way that, that the Chinese approach journalism is so different than what we do on the outside. So we're just grateful that you were able to explain a little bit about it to us today so that when we're looking at the news, we can better understand what's behind it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Professor Zhang Yancho is a director of Africa Communication Research Center at the Communication University of China in Beijing. Uh, hopefully it will not be four years again before you come back on our show again. We was such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to another round of discussion. Uh, I, I'm sure I have a lot to share with you and to discuss with, uh, you know, the African uh, media expert and uh, journalist on these issues. Thank you very much. Kobus, I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners are going to find Professor Zhang's outlook on constructive journalism to be uh, rather objectionable. Uh, it's just not the way that a lot of people outside of China approach journalism and storytelling. And that's also in Africa as well. Again, go to newsrooms like the Daily Maverick, the Daily Nation, Premium Times in Nigeria. These are uh, newsrooms that are very robust, very dynamic, and and you know have a really thrive in this kind of investigative adversarial form of journalism. Uh, that being said, uh, it's I'm very grateful that Professor Zhang came on the show to talk to us about how uh, the Chinese approach it, because it is so radically different. And I think very few people understand it very well. And it's easily kind of just written off as, you know, party propaganda, state propaganda and dismissed. And I think that's a mistake because whether or not we agree with the way the Chinese do journalism or news or content propaganda, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's important that we at least understand where it comes from. And, And that's something that I think lacks in the discourse. I think, you know, a, a lot of Western journalists tend, tend to just dismiss this um, as an approach. But I think it, it needs to be seen in the context of a, a crisis moment that we're seeing in Western journalism, um, you know, where where we've seen conventional journalism being ve- not particularly effective at, at fact-checking leaders, um, at, at combating fake news, um, and where where traditional ideas of objectivity or showing both sides have been 
hijacked to create these kind of echo chambers where where it's impossible to have any kind of shared sense of of reality for me the problem with the, with constructive journalism is that it pushes journalists into a position where they have to cooperate with the national project which is frequently kind of national economic development for example um and you know and and that 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 is very attractive in an African context because national development is this obsession in Africa. But at the same time, it makes it very hard for journalists to raise issues that cross-cut um, and make it, you know, that issues that that are or problems that that are not that don't actively fit into a national development um, agenda, like for example, climate change or LGBT rights. Um, you know, it, it it makes it much harder for a journalist to, to be this kind of independent voice saying, like, look, you know, even though national development is 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 this thing that's going well or going badly? This other problem exists that also needs attention. You know, it, it tends to kind of to shave voices down into a kind of a unified project, which, you know, kind of which raises um, a little bit of, of anxiety for me. Well, and that's why I have a difficulty, and maybe I'm a purist here, and this is just my opinion of calling it journalism and calling it news. I, I think it's more content marketing. It's the same that if, you know, Ford or GM or Procter & Gamble is producing content, they're never going to produce content that will go against their own interests. It just why would they, right? And it's the same way that a government, when it produces content, doesn't produce material or information that violates its own kind of standards, ethics, policies, whatever. And I guess that's what the Chinese are doing, is that things, as Professor Zhang said, are aligned with the national interest. To me, that's not news in the traditional definition. Again, I'm, I might be an old, fuddy-duddy old-timer that looks at it, you know, back in the old days, we used to do news this way. Uh, but in my def, in my world... Um, as a journalist of 25, 30 years, uh, that's not how I look at it. It is content marketing, uh, and I, it's it's content. Is it news? I, hard to tell. So you know that it's a it's really a tough, tough subject to kind of get your mind around. But again, I do th- I do think it's important that we have voices like Professor Zhang's to come on and talk to us about it. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Uh, again, Cobus and I, we're up here every single week. If you'd like to get in touch with us, it's super easy. Uh, I'm Eric at ChinaAfricaProject.com. He's Cobus at C-O-B-U-S at ChinaAfricaProject.com. Just email us. Uh, you're, you'll be surprised sometimes you get really long detailed emails back. We love interacting with people. Of course, you can also follow us on social media. And best of all, if you'd like to kind of follow what we're doing every day, subscribe to our daily email newsletter. Go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code podcast at checkout, and we'll throw in a huge discount for you. And we, we save that as an Easter egg for the end of the program. Uh, we give you a third off, actually. So that's the only place we tell it. So it's a little secret. So And people are, Cobus, you'd be surprised. We've gotten quite a few signups from that just from this little Easter egg at the end of the show. So I'm very grateful to, uh, to all of you who have signed up with the promo code and made it to the end of the program. So that'll do it. Until next week, I'm Eric Olander. Thanks so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Quobus at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China in Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com. (laughs) 